You're listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journey here at UVic. Welcome to Beyond the Jargon. I'm your host, Liz MacArthur. Thanks for joining me today. In the studio, I have Nina Boloyevich. She's a master's student in the English department here at UVic. Is that correct? The English department? Yes, it's in the English department. Now, you are also involved with uh, like digital humanities and things like that. Is that still part of the English department, or is that a broader, uh, I don't know, um, if, if it's a different department or not? It's in the English department. What's interesting at UVic is that um, digital humanities in general is kind of a broader group of kind of interdisciplinary Mm -hmm. um, departments in kind of just a general practice. Um, At UVic, the English department is fairly strong in the digital humanities field. So actually, Mm -hmm. a lot of the students who are doing work in the labs that I'm working at and the uh, Maker Lab in the Humanities and the Electronic Textual Cultures Lab Mm -hmm. um, are from the English department, just because there's kind of a lot of activity and a lot of projects going on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'm English specific, but I do kind of broader work. Right. Yeah. And what is your um, what is your master's uh, project uh, particularly? What are you doing? I'm working on a project that looks at video games through kind of the material study of game consoles. Hmm. So I kind of started um, being interested in video games as a form kind of a form that I want to study within the realm of English and cultural studies and have shifted to actually looking at the material consoles and thinking about not just what's happening in games on the screen or through kind of the audio output, but actually thinking about the material processes that are taking place. So my master's project is um, a combination of writing an essay, but also building and making things. And Hmm. um, what I started doing was modding, um, like modifying a Nintendo entertainment system by taking it apart and circuit bending it to create audio and video glitches. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> that, that, can, that can be your master's project. That's really, uh, that's cool to have such a hands-on kind of thing. Can you explain circuit bending for people that don't know what that is? Definitely. So circuit bending, it's really common with like children's toys, for example, that make weird sounds. So mm-hmm. uh, distorting the sound through circuit bending is a really common form of doing it. Basically, you take apart, let's say, a children's toy and expose the circuit board that's inside of it, where all that electricity flows through mm-hmm. the board to create the actual effects that we then see or hear. Um, circuit bending takes that board and basically creates different points of electric flow by touching together different points on the circuit board Hmm. um, using like little jumper cables for example Mm -hmm. and also adding different levels of resistance so by doing that you create new effects or you create glitches basically by touching together parts on the circuit board and connecting the electric flow going through them Mm -hmm. um, in order to have those effects. Okay and so if somebody is interested in doing circuit bending or like what you're doing why why do it what's, uh, what's the point of circuit bending? Well, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> I do it for fun, but then I also do it for school, kind right. of. Um, I think one thing that's great about it is it's a really good way to learn about electricity and how things work. Yeah. For me, I don't have a background in that at all. I really don't know anything about electricity or physical computing or engineering or anything mm-hmm. in that realm. Like, I'm an English student. Yeah. <laughs> so um, circuit bending, I think, for me, is actually a really good first step to just learn about how these things work through this tacit engagement with it by actually, like, 
opening it up and looking at it and touching it and exploring it. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting to learn about it through that because it's this really exploratory process where you just spend like hours trying out every different possible connection on the circuit board and kind of keeping track of what the effects are that happen. Right. And through that, you're like, oh, I think this is the area where like all the audio glitches are. Here's like where the video card is. Here's where, you know, like, so you kind of mm-hmm. learn about how these things are put together and you start to understand um, concepts of kind of electric current and resistance and things like that just by playing around with it and trying to understand what the effects are that you're seeing or hearing. Mm -hmm. So I really like circuit bending from that perspective. I also like it as a form of just like kind of this form of creative play, Mm -hmm. especially with video games where it's kind of like it is already gameplay is kind of what you do when you play games. But um, this is sort of this not intended form of play where you're like, yeah, the game company intended me to play my Nintendo in this way, but I'm actually going to just like do something else and still play it, but kind of turn it into my own toy. Yeah, yeah. So Mm -hmm. I I like doing that as almost kind of a form of resistance Mm -hmm. to sort of what it was intended to be used as. yeah, I think, and then there's also some really cool art projects people do with circuit bending, especially kind of um, in the music realm, mm-hmm. um, but also just um, general kind of installations and things like that. So I think it's actually becoming, like, it's a really growing field and practice and mm. a form of play and expression and all those things. So, yeah. Now, for your uh, for your project, you're opening up a Nintendo console and doing this. And so um, do you intend certain glitches to happen is the will the console still be usable like with games and it'll just appear different or sound different how does how will it work uh, like for your outcomes um so i did one that i finished modding where basically i picked glitches that are all still playable with uh, as many games as i kind of tried i tried like 10 or some, 10 different games or something for um, the console um, for each of the glitches and so all the glitches are ones that are still playable so you can still put in any like I, I used an older Nintendo Entertainment System just because for me that was easier to work with mm-hmm. and with like something newer um, and disc based especially but with the older one you can still just put the cartridge in it and play the game and you can just play the game normally the way it's intended or then you can add kind of the level of glitching it um while you're playing so in some ways um that kind of can create new challenges in the game um for example if suddenly everything is like way more pixelated or the graphics are distorted then you can't really see as well like what you're doing or where you are um some of the glitches i found actually like change the gameplay so like a really cool one is in Tetris. Like everyone knows Tetris, I yes. guess. In Tetris, like usually you just have your pieces drop down. You just have to kind of place them in this like static space of what's already kind of landed at the bottom. Mm-hmm. But the glitch I found, you can shift the open spaces between two states. Oh. So you could just play it and have like an extra layer of shifting where things fall into. So it kind of just like adds an additional layer of complexity to mm-hmm. a game that like everyone knows. So that's a fun one for me because I'm like, oh, it's like kind of a new game now because I right. added this element that wasn't there before and now you have this like new ability in the game. And did that totally come by uh, by accident, just testing things out? Yeah, I kind of, um, I really like the serendipitous nature of circuit bending because mm-hmm. 
not being an expert in like building circuit boards or especially such complex ones, it's really just touching and trying things out and playing with it and then being mm -hmm. like, oh, that's a really cool glitch. I'm going to yeah. solder that one on and make it work. And, <laughs> and you're doing it physically too. That That's really interesting to me because usually when you think about game development, things like that, people mm -hmm. are coding and they're not actually doing physical things to a computer. It's all like software based. But this is, you're actually soldering like bits on to make these glitches happen. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, it's actually really interesting. It is sort of where my work has... Um, kind of found its little niche because there's um, some really interesting work that scholars and um, people in the game industry or, or game developers and artists are doing around modding and glitching and hacking games um, at a software level. And then there is also interesting things happening on the hardware level, but it's not as big of a field yet. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting for me to kind of take some of the intentions um, of game designers and artists in the software world and trying to apply some of that in the hardware world. Yeah. Mm. How did you come to this? Are, were you a big gamer like growing up or <laughs> why, are, why are you so interested in games now? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bizarre because I never played games. Right. And especially when I started and I would start going to kind of game things or like talk to like people in the game world or who are like really studying and it would always feel a bit like a fraud like, like oh, I hope <laughs> like nobody's gonna find out that I don't actually play games <laughs> um I started being interested in it I mean I do have a lot of friends who play games and it's like it's not like I never played games but I was never I'm not a gamer basically right and when I started doing my degree in English my master's degree in English I was sort of thinking about like what areas I want to study and for some reason instead of picking like a book like a, yeah. a literary period or something I was like actually games are really interesting yeah um I think games are like a really fascinating um form of communication and that's kind of what got me into it to start looking at games through sort of this like humanity studies lens mm -hmm. and thinking about games as this um really expressive form of communicating and making arguments so um, there's actually like a lot of scholarly work going on where um, Ian Bogus who's like a big game scholar he calls it procedural rhetoric um, where he kind of explains how like we have verbal rhetoric and we have like visual rhetoric and these different ways of communicating and making arguments mm -hmm. and applying like rhetorical, uh, rhetorical approaches but procedural rhetoric functions like at the level of code and kind of at the level of processes so it's kind of like smaller processes broken down to make um, an argument and in video games that is a really strong um, aspect of how video games kind of function and make arguments because everything is like procedural like everything is kind mm. of all these different small processes that are all working together in the game um, and to me that kind of has this effect where video games are really like experiential like when you play a like a game doesn't exist unless you're playing a game mm -hmm. like somebody has to play the game and then they're experiencing whatever the game is communicating so it's this really strong form of communicating and making arguments and um that's something i find really f fascinating about video games so that's mm -hmm. kind of how i got interested in it and have you been playing games since you've started now like more do you find 
I've mainly been playing my Nintendo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's like totally old school. Right. But um, yeah, I've, I've played like, mainly I've been playing games just to kind of try them out and to actually know what I'm talking about when yeah. I do work on them. So um, yeah, that's kind of mainly been it. But I'm also, it's actually hard because I keep being like, well, I could just make the excuse that playing video games all day is like my research right yeah. <laughs> now. But then I would actually end up just playing games all day. Right. So <laughs> I'm trying to balance it and not kind of get sucked in by wanting to play games all the time. All day. So, mm. yeah. Um, <laughs> now, I know that there's, there's quite a big community in Victoria that seems to be involved in these kinds of things like game development or circuit bending. Um, is all of your research and the stuff you do limited to the university campus? Or are you doing stuff out in the broader community as well? I haven't done too much in the broader community. Um, I mean, at UVic, um, they have a really great game dev um, club here that does mm-hmm. a lot of work, and I haven't been that involved, but I've gone to kind of a couple of um, things and sort of read about the things they're doing and stuff, so um, I haven't been that involved, but it's an interesting thing that's kind of happening on campus. My first um, attempt at circuit bending I actually did at... Um, the Oleo Artists um, Cooperative in mm-hmm. Victoria, they had um, a visiting artist who did a workshop on circuit bending. So that was kind of my first experience at actually hmm. doing that. Yeah. Who else shows up at those uh, meetings? Is it a wide range of ages and backgrounds, do you think? Um, at that meeting, it was, yeah, it was a wide range. There were some really young people, like, I don't, like, they seemed to me like teenagers. Maybe they were older, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then there was me and my friend who went together and yeah I mean like it it seems like probably anywhere between like 16 and 40 was sort of the range of people who Mm -hmm. were there it was like eight of us or ten of us it was like a smaller group and it was great like everyone kind of just brought a toy Mm. to circuit bend and uh, play with and um, help each other and just look at each other's work Um, a lot of them were musicians or people who were kind of interested in circuit bending kind of for their music projects yeah Interesting. Uh, let's talk a bit about how, like, the sort of journey that you took to get to UVic. Where did you do your uh, undergraduate? I did my undergraduate at UVic, mm-hmm. actually, but it was a while ago. So I graduated here in 2007, mm-hmm. um, and I did my degree in English as mm-hmm. well. But back then I studied um, early modern religious poetry, so, like, completely <laughs> different from what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Um and I really loved it. And I did the honors program here, which is an amazing program. And mm-hmm. I got a lot out of it and learned a lot. Um, and I was actually planning on going on and doing my master's right after. But then I was like just out of undergrad. And I was like, well, I need to make some money <laughs> before yeah. I keep being a student and um, be able to actually like pay for that. So I started working um, in Vancouver. So I moved to Vancouver and very randomly fell into advertising and Mm. started working in the ad industry in Vancouver um, for a few different agencies over the time I was there. And I ended up doing that for like five years while I was living in Vancouver, working in ad agencies as um, a client services like representative. So like kind of managing client relationships and teams and projects. And then um, also as a strategic planner, so kind of planning um, campaigns and uh, marketing approaches and advertising Mm. tactics, sort of. So, yeah, I did that for a while. And it was 
a really fun thing to do kind of throughout my 20s. It's like yeah. ad industry, like yeah. madman. It's like, well, it's not like that exactly, but it is a fun and like young and creative industry to work in. So it was good for the time I did it. But towards the end, I kind of started wanting to do something more fulfilling and meaningful for me personally. I just mm -hmm. didn't feel like the work I was doing in advertising was meaningful, right. which is like not a surprise. But um, yeah, I wasn't that happy doing it in the end. And I decided to just go back to school and actually do something I'm really passionate about mm -hmm. and see where that leads. So. Do you think that time in a sort of creative expressive industry like that uh, maybe helped you move in a or to think in a different way about what a master's project would look like or what you wanted to pursue rather than I mean you know you probably could be fulfilled by doing early religious poetry but maybe um, I don't know being able to be expressive and creative might have driven your choices in another direction? I think it definitely influenced it. Mm. Um, yeah, it definitely got me also interested more in the realm of the digital space because I did a lot of digital mm -hmm. work in advertising as well. So that was kind of um, a push in that direction. And yeah, it's I think f having had that break and having had experience in a different field and working in that field um, definitely led me to just not try to follow kind of this one way of like, well, I'm doing an English degree, so I'm going to study literature from one time period and do mm -hmm. that, but kind of just look at all my different interests and very much like mix my personal interests and passions and life with my focus of, at school and what I'm studying. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I definitely think in that way it had, it caused some of the choices I've made mm -hmm. in school now. Do you think you would go back to advertising? What do you want to do once you're finished this project? <laughs> I don't know what I want to do. <laughs> it's um, really hard. I I don't plan to go back to advertising mm -hmm. um, just because I sort of left to try something new and to see where that would lead. Mm -hmm. It would be a possibility, but yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather do something different and try something new instead of advertising. But exactly what that would look like, I don't no right now right um there's still the possibility of a phd which i don't want to pursue right away but i would i'm still keeping it open as a possibility for the future yeah because i really like school yeah <laughs> <laughs> i really enjoy being in this program and i like academia and i like the work i'm doing but i also want to just take the time and have the freedom to explore my different interests and hmm. um areas that i could be pursuing pursuing so I'm not sure I do like the work I'm doing in labs right now so if there's sort of some alt academy kind of work mm. to be that I could be doing in a similar realm where I can still do research and hands-on work and develop projects as I am right now that are interesting and meaningful to me that would mm -hmm. be really cool but I'm not sure mm. exactly what that'll look like or what will come up once I'm done Tell me about the work that you're doing in labs right now. What, because uh, we have some interesting digital labs. You mentioned a few at the beginning. Um, what ones do you work in, and what do you do there? So I split my time between two labs: the Maker Lab and the Humanities, which is directed by Gentry Sayers, and then the Electronic Textual Cultures Lab, the ETCL Lab, um, mm -hmm. 
down in Clarehue, which is led by Ray Siemens. So I do different work across both of them. My main project that I'm working on right now is um, developing a prototype for a new form of scholarly peer review hmm. for a journal platform called, uh, well, we're not really sure exactly how it'll work yet, but right now I'm prototyping wireframes for a journal platform called Open Journal Systems and thinking about kind of, there's traditional forms of peer review where it's blind peer review and a review committee gets an article, for example, reviews that gives feedback and changes get made and in the end once it's finalize it gets published kind of in the traditional journal way and we're looking at um, an open form of doing that where mm. everyone can actually contribute to um, to giving feedback on a paper for example and have this open format of commenting on it and through that also representing kind of the different type of expertise and skills and work that goes into it, not just authoring um, a paper, but also um, contributing by giving feedback and collaboratively kind of engaging in conversation about that work. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's um, a project I'm working on right now. So almost like the people that are reviewing it would be getting credit for editing, their editing work sort of? Yeah, in a way. And it's kind of opened up to a broader group of people to actually give feedback and to also apply like their different areas of expertise so one person might be looking at an article just from the perspective of um, being an expert on early modern poetry for example but then mm -hmm. somebody else could look at it from more of a design perspective somebody else could be looking at it as a proofreader and mm -hmm. sort of um, applying those different areas of like those different roles that scholars all perform all the time but mm -hmm. usually there's just a couple of small ones that are really recognized um, and the other things are kind of just th this work that people do that doesn't really get acknowledged acknowledged that often. Hmm. Yeah. So like improving upon existing peer review systems, basically. Yeah, and it's kind of not meant to replace the existing system because that works well for a lot of reasons, but it's kind of, it's another way of um, engaging in peer review and a different form of, kind of publishing work. Yeah. Hmm. And that's what you're doing at the Electronic Textures Lab? Yeah, I'm doing that at the Electronic Textual Cultures Lab and across the Maker Lab as well. So mm -hmm. my work kind of goes across the two of um, the two labs. Um, in the Maker Lab, we're also working on a project called Kids for Cultural History right now, mm. uh, which is really interesting. Um, it's basically a series of kits that engage with a specific cultural mechanisms from the past that are sort of relevant in different ways. Um, we have a team of four people in the lab working on it. It's uh, Sean McPherson, John Johnson, Zakir Birani, and Katie McQuesten. It's a really awesome team. They're doing some really cool work right now. Um, basically, finding, um, again, like a material way of explaining these like cultural relevant histories and the connection between technology and culture mm -hmm. and making these arguments instead of writing like a traditional essay or a monograph about it, making them in the form of an actual material kit where if there is a specific mechanism, you actually learn how to make that mechanism, how to replicate that mechanism. At the same time, you'd also understand the cultural relevance. So Sean and I actually just presented um, 
one of these at the Western Humanities Alliance conference uh, last week. And that one focuses on early wearable technology. Um, looking back at actually like wearables that's were invented in like the 1880s, wow. which is like way longer ago than anyone <laughs> would think, um, by this guy called Gustave Trouvet. And he actually had a whole bunch of patents in his lifetime. And like some of them included like early like motorized boats and hmm. um, the precursor of like the AA battery and things like that. But he also invented these what uh, they called electric jewels. So he would um, place a small light, illuminating light inside of um, like diadems or brooches or hairpins and things like mm -hmm. that. And it's funny because it started um, being used in performance, like on stage by actors and dancers. There was even like a performance of Faust where they would have light up swords, <laughs> which is like, amazing. Um, and when was this? How did it, how like, did it work? Basically, they would have this like precursor of the AA battery, yeah, um, as like this pocket battery that would be attached to a circuit where the, a light bulb would be attached, mm -hmm. and then like a very small light bulb, and um, the encasing would be a piece of jewelry, right? Um, with like even glass gemstones. Um, mm. And those would then illuminate really brightly because of the light inside. And women would like wear them in their in their hair and so on. Mm -hmm. What was interesting, I um, read a bit about kind of how it was received back then because from the stage it then was very quickly adopted as like this fashion trend by women in like, England and France. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting because they would write about how while well, suddenly like these cheap glass jewels look like more sparkly than any like real diamond or ruby so that's right. kind of an interesting thing to think about um from that time but yeah the idea of the kit um that we're, we're just starting to kind of develop these the series of these kits so we're just developing prototypes right now but the idea for this one would be to kind of communicate this is how like a very simple circuit that illuminates like an led even for example like in our mm -hmm. based on like our modern materials uh, that illuminates an LED. This is how a really simple circuit works and how it functions and how you can make it yourself. Um, but then also have the other other elements. So have like we, um, Katie and our team developed this filigree um, hairpin that she made just for this, which looks really great. Um, and kind of have somebody like materially engaging with all those pieces and learning about them, but then also having critical elements in there that kind of bring up the gendered history of technology for example where like back then there were like all these male inventors who would have all these patents and come up with these things but they would then place these things on like female bodies for kind of presentation and right. um, thinking even just about the terminology of um, some of these things like male and female uh, connectors and stuff like that mm -hmm. where you're like oh where did that come from <laughs> it's yeah. like yeah there's like this time yeah <laughs> this like early invention time of electricity and all these different technologies and mechanisms so yeah that's kind of what that um, project does and also thinking also thinking about how do you give this information in form of a kit so that it makes sense and so that the mechanism is understood, but then also instead of just giving these like really um, instructive 
instructive instructions. These instructions that just basically say do this, do that, and put it together and then it works actually explain sort of the functions and some of the cultural relevance and history hmm. of the different elements. So it's like an educational kind of DIY kit. Yeah, it's kind of, it's educational in a lot of ways. It's also kind of trying trying to make these scholarly arguments in a different form than just writing about it. And this idea of, well, maybe instead of having a citation that just refers to another text, having a citation that actually refers to a material piece yeah, would yeah. be like a really interesting way mm-hmm. of engaging with this material, especially, it's so bizarre, I think, to, like, we're all in, at least in, like, this area of academia, we're just, like, writing about these material things all the time, but it's just, like, in this written space, but it's, like, there are real things mm-hmm. that we're talking about, so we could just bring up the real things and include those in the work as well. Um, we're out of time, but I just want to ask you one a uh, little bit more before I let you go. Um, how much longer will you be working on this project here at UVic? I am... Well, right now I'm doing my last two courses, and then I'm done with my coursework and next semester. So um, in January, I'm going to start just focusing on writing my master's essay, right. and then I plan to finish end of next term. And then on to the next adventure, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Nina, for being my guest today. Thank you, Liz. Again, thank you for listening to Beyond the Jargon on CFUV.